Pastor Xavier Reese and the danger of spiritual complacency. The person who turns away from God does not do it all at one time. I think you know that. It is progressive with one small beginning compromise, then it moves to a consistent compromise, then it moves to a callous compromise. It ends up in a corrupt manner of lifestyle. Wow, how'd they get there? One step at a time. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Far be it from a faithful husband or wife to walk away from a marriage, but it happens. It's never intentional, seldom planned, but is always devastating. Well, in our current study from the book of Ezekiel, Pastor Xavier explores the danger of a people who've turned their backs on a long-standing love relationship with the Lord. Here he is with today's lesson, Unfaithful Love. There is no more common story in life than a love story gone bad. The circumstances always begin the same. Two people meet each other. They just fall passionately in love. Sometimes the circumstance even magnifies the relationship and the, and the love. And then the story begins um, to go away. One begins to flirt with their affections with someone else, and ultimately they become unfaithful. The ultimate end is horrendous. The consequences atrocious. And yet there are few marriages who are willing to pay the price, though God is willing to put it together. But God is different. He's so different from us and gracious that as soon as we repent, he's able to forgive and is willing to forgive. And um, aren't, you, aren't you glad that, that he's like that or none of us will get to heaven? This is the story of God's love for Jerusalem, the wife, who has become unfaithful and is revealed through the personification of the capital city of the nation, Jerusalem. So keep that in mind. He's directing to the, to the city. It's like uh, addressing it to Washington, D.C., the capital city representing the nation. And it's given to us in three movements. Verse 1 through 14, the love relationship of God with Jerusalem. Secondly, 15 through 34, the treacherous betrayal against the love of God by Jerusalem. And then thirdly, verses 35 through 63, the judgment of God due to the perverted love of Jerusalem. Notice in the first seven verses, the love compassion of God toward Jerusalem is given to us. God speaks to his unfaithful wife. Verse 1 through 3 is very evident. The origin of the, of the message is divine revelation. Once again, we have the formula here. The word of the Lord came to me over and over and over again in verse 1. Notice Ezekiel is addressed as the son of man. The same kind of title is done before, one who is frail, one who is human, just like all others. And he is to cause Jerusalem, very specifically, to know what? Her abominations. The word abomination, as you know, means disgusting thing to God. And the context is morality here. We've already seen the debauchery in the temple in chapter 8 of all the idolatry, the image of jealousy. Now, notice the prophet uses the literary device here, what's called allegory in this chapter. A deliberate construct story in which is clearly understood by the teller as well as the hearer alike what is being intended by symbolic language to teach spiritual truth parallel to history. Notice verse 3 and 5. 
God reminded the people that the original inhabitants of Jerusalem were not godly. Why? Because they were boasting. Remember Jeremiah chapter 7? Oh, the temple of the Lord. Temple of the Lord. Oh, he can't destroy it. We're the people of God. This is the temple of God. Not. You're dead. How many people sit in church this morning? Hey, I go to church. I'm in church. Doesn't matter. You understand? Hmm, false confidence. The prophet mocks the prideful self-exaltation above the pagan. Yet the pagans occupied Jerusalem before it became the city of David. Listen to verse 3. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. It's not saying that, that Abraham was that descendant, but he's talking about that the city of Jerusalem was inhabited by them first. Exodus 3.17, Joshua 15.63, before David made it a city. They were exalting themselves, but they had become worse than the pagan. We're going to see this. Look at 4 and 5. The circumstance of the national birth uh, was not loving. It wasn't a loving birth for the nation. She was unwanted and abandoned. Look at verse 4. Your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in saline cloths. That was the Arabic Bedouin custom. You take the baby and you swallow it with, with, with salt and, and the cloth for seven days, and then the next seven days you do it again up to the 40th day for hygiene, for disinfectant, all that. It was abandoned. None of those things were given. No care was given to it. It was certain to die. Look at verse 5. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown into an open field when you yourselves were loathed on the day you were born. In other words, you left children in the marketplace. You didn't want them, but you knew someone picked them up. You were a little bit compassionate. You leave them in the field, no one's going to come by. They're going to die. The umbilical cord still connected. Wow. Look at verse 6 and 7. God reminded them he was responsible for the existence of the city. In verse 6, he declares his loving compassion to save her from death. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood. He declares his love in generosity in verse 7. To nurture her to her young adulthood. I made you thrive like a plant. Ver previous chapter, verse 15, he talked about the vine. <laughs> like a plant in the field. And you grew mature. You became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed. Your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. You were still destitute. The bondage of Egypt, perhaps, here. The city was unwanted during the judges' period. In the book of Judges, the focus of the city as a representative of the nation. Look at verse 8 through 14. The love marriage of God, which Jerusalem has given to us. God reminded the city of his bond of marriage, of the city, the capital, in verse 8. The proposal of marriage came to her uh, at her sexual mature age, in verse uh, 8 of the beginning. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your, your nakedness. And the wing is your, my skirt, literally. Ruth 3.8, Boaz did that to Ruth for marriage. And there in verse 8 still, the marriage was bound by a mutual covenant, by an oath. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. The covenant at Sinai was entered into by the people and God. It was mutual until David made Jerusalem the capital in 2 Samuel 5, 6, and 7. 
Look at verse 9. God reminded the city that he sanctified her to himself. The proof of her nuptial night is given to us here. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood. She was a virgin on the wedding night. He had purified her, made her to himself. As you know the law, after the nuptials, then those that evidence that cloth was given to the parents in case the husband ever accused her of not being a virgin. You remember that. And they couldn't produce it. She'd be stoned. Look at verse 10. God reminded the city that he provided everything for the city. He clothed it with the finest of clothes. I clothed you with embroidered clothes, gave you the sandals of badger skin, which is porpoise or, um, or seal skin, and gave you sandals of badger skin, skin, clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. A lot of this is for the tabernacle too, the same materials. He provided with her with luxury, extravagance. Look at verse 11 and 12. I adorn you with ornaments. You put bracelets on your wrist, chains in your neck. What woman doesn't like that? And I put a jewel on your nose, earrings in your ears, and beautiful crowns on your head. Loved her. Look at verse 13. He provided it with the statue of royalty. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of the fine linen, silk, embroidered clothes. You ate pastries of fine flour, honey, oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. All of this was because of him and through him. Remember Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.2? 2? He said this, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in the land not sown. Wow. Remember, he's in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's in Babylon. Look at 14 still. God reminded the city that he made it famous, the climax being Solomon, the golden age. He was a source of their reputation. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor. And he did it sovereignly, not because they deserved it, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. Man. On his 99th birthday, Carl J., Prince, for many years the commissioner from Sweden to Canada, stepped quickly into the television stage. His keen eye, expression, wisdom, understanding of the years was with him, and he was asked for rules by which such a long and beautiful and useful life might be achieved. He replied like this, listen well. I would suggest one definite rule at this time. One must be tempered in all things. Then he added quickly, perhaps I should say all but one, for in the Bible, you can read the commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and on, the only thing we can rightly do to excess. Wow. This was Jerusalem's problem. She didn't do that. Every one of us um, has nothing to boast about regardless of our uh, national origin or where we come from. We were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says. How often we boast after we're born again? as if we had anything to do with it. <laughs> we can categorize ourselves under a, a color, race, black, brown, white, red, yellow. But after that, we have to say sinners. We're in the political correct age. You can even categorize yourself under your education, graduate, high school graduate, university, PhD. Don't forget, sinner. 
We have attributed everything else to ourselves, and we have forgotten that we're sinners. Every person is saved on the same basis, grace through faith, that not of ourselves is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Every person is provided with all things pertaining to life and godliness in salvation. No one receives an inferior salvation, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, through promises and divine nature. All have received the same quality of salvation. All have been forgiven for all of their sins. All have the Holy Spirit. All have the mind of Christ. All are able to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. All, all, all. All is all in Greek, Hebrew, English, Spanish, French, Chinese. All. Salvation is not inferior to anyone. Every person who is saved should be the most thankful and appreciative to God for his loving kindness and grace. And we are commanded to be thankful in Colossians 3.15 and many other portions. Evident of our commitment to the Word of God, I'm thankful that I'm in the Word of God. Evident that I pray. Evident of my commitment to gather together to the church. Evident of my being involved in ministry through my gifts. Evident of my commitment even for my material finances. All that demonstrates my love, my appreciation, and my understanding that all I have and all I am is Him and no one else. You understand? Our founding fathers clearly indicated divine intervention, direction, and dependency on God for the birth of this nation, people. This chapter speaks right to America. Inscribed on every major national monument is a scripture. Began with the Liberty Bell. The year of Jubilee. And they tell us that we weren't founded on biblical principles. In our money, it says, in God we trust. Our national anthem says, one nation under God, indivisible, justice for all. Our declaration of independence says that all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I could go on with the preamble, the Constitution, and many other things. Amazing what's going on in America. The frog in the kettle. Temperature slowly moves on, so it sits there and boils to death without recognizing the rising temperature. The love relationship of God with Jerusalem was from heaven, from heaven. Now notice, secondly, we have the treacherous betrayal against the love of God by Jerusalem in verse 15 through 34. Now, first of all, 15 through 22, Jerusalem corrupted all God had given her, using it to pollute herself. Mark it well. Look at verse 15. These are all charges against the city. The city had lost perspective, believing she was responsible for all she was. Her confidence in God was transferred to herself and became unfaithful. Whoa. She had high self-esteem. But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame. Self-esteem will destroy you. You start loving yourself first, you won't have time for anybody else. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and says, half of it was not told me in 1 Kings 10, 7. God had blessed, but Solomon began to take it upon himself. The whole nation. Her availability to all, notice in verse 15, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. The most repeated word is zana, to engage in prostitution and related nouns, harlot, whore, prostitute, over 21 times in this chapter. You get the message? There's not a young girl you take home to meet mother. Look at 16. The city cultivated her unfaithfulness. She uh, switched her allegiance. You took some of your garments and you adorned multicolor high places for yourself. She wallowed in her lust and played the harlot on them. She knew better. 
Such things should not have happened nor be. You say it as parents. You know better. What's the matter with you? The city desecrated the things of God. In 17, she made idols for herself. We have also taken your beautiful jewelry from, from my gold and my silver, which I gave, have given to you, and made for yourselves male images. Why male? Because she's the female. She's prostitute. Understand? And you play the harlot with them. She worshiped her idols with the elements intended for God. Look at verse 18. You took your embroidered garments covered, uh, and covered them, and you set my oil and my incense before them. Man. Like at 19, she dedicated her food provisions to idols. Also my food, which I gave you, the pastry, the fine flour, the oil, the honey, which I fed you. You said it before them as sweet incense, and so it was, said the Lord God. Man, heavy charges. Look at 20 and 21. The city destroyed her children in her worship of her idol. This is the climax. This is the abominable thing to God. If that was not enough, listen. She dedicated her children to Molech. Moreover, you took your sons, your daughters, whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured, the valley of Hinnom, Leviticus 18, 2 Kings 23, Jeremiah chapter 7, and many other passages. Laying that baby in the burning arms of Molech. Burn him alive. You say, that's horrible. You think abortion is any better? Drowning him in salt? Tearing him apart in the womb? Let him be born? Turn their little back heads around and cut their, the back of their necks for partial abortion and suck out their brain? She did not even flinch. Look at 20. Were your acts of hardship a small matter? That you have slain my children and offered them to them by causing them to pass through the fire. They're his children. The firstborn is to be redeemed unto God. The city's downfall was ingratitude, not remembering where she had come from and who she owed everything to. She failed to remember the steadfast love of God and all your abominations and acts of heart. You did not remember the days of your youth. Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days come where there is no pleasure in. Right now you're young, you think you're a great, but you're going to be a raisin if the Lord tarries. She failed to remember her impoverished and near-death condition when you were naked and bare, struggling your blood. Have you come to this place that long and, and to the place in your spirituality because of you, something you've done, because something you are? Then, then, then you, you've, you've lost perspective. Look at 23 through 29. Jerusalem constructed pagan shrines to feed her unsatisfied lust. Mark it well. 23 through 25, the people set up their idolatrous shrines with their sexual rights. Whoa, what a parallel to our nation. Look at 23. Her wickedness only calloused her heart, deserving a double woe. Then it was so, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God. This is divine court. This is the divine judge. There's no question on any of the evidence. Her intent was to fill the city with brothels. Look at 24. That you also built for yourself a shrine and made a high place for yourselves in every street. The, the language of this chapter is pornographic to an extent, if you read in the Hebrew. It is so explicit on the sexual rights that were going on. Notice verse 25, the beginning. Her busy cross streets were prime locations for these brothels. You built your high places at the head of every road. They were into marketing. They put them on every corner. Busy intersections. 
you offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiply your acts of harlotry. Vulgar. Look at verse 26. They sought out the Egyptians. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians. Your very fleshly neighbors. Now this means, listen, in the Hebrew, refers to the oversized organs. And increased your acts of harlotry and provoked me to anger. Very explicit. Verse 27. They were judged by God, decreasing their provisions and looked down on by the heathens. Listen. Behold, therefore I stretched out my hand against you, diminishing your allotment, and gave you to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. The Philistines said, man, those guys are gross. They're perverted. Wow. Who are they? Oh, they're the people of God. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then he goes on to tell us, Have you ever heard of nations changing their gods? You have. Wow. Look at verse 30. The city had become slaves to their sensual idols. The problem was their heart. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God. He alone knows the condition of the heart, Jeremiah 17, 9. Evil, desperately wicked. Hebrews 4, 12, open and naked. No secrets in heaven. The evidence was visible. Listen, impudence. Seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. In other words, she gets done with one dude and comes out and says, number 100, next. Don't laugh. It's a boast today. Vulgar, perverted world. The lewd, debauched, and perverted form of worship, we can't even speak of it in here. The fact that it did not bother them. What's the problem? Whatever. Nor the city was worse than the harlot in that she did not take money. Verse 31. You erected your shrines at the head of every road and build your high places in every street, yet you were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. She paid them. She benefited her, her lovers. Look at verse 33. Men make payments to all harlots, but you made your payments to all your lovers and hired them to come to you for all your harlotries. She's worse. She's out of norm even with a harlot. Wow. How did how'd she get there? One step at a time. A Christian can begin to flirt with things of the world and think that he or she can handle things or have certain liberties and they begin and all of a sudden they find themselves in bondage, no longer in liberty and so steeped in sin and yet they're still in the church. They say, well, I go to church. The temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There are people in church sitting this morning who are in adultery and fornication they got blasted last night on coke. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, I shall he also reap. You sow the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow the spirit, you reap everlasting life. Galatians 4, 7 through 8. That's an absolute principle for Christian and pagan, by the way. The person who turns away from God does not do it all at one time. I think you know that. It is progressive with one 
small beginning compromise, then it moves to a consistent compromise, then it moves to a callous compromise. It ends up in a corrupt manner of lifestyle. Some get impatient with God and they become unequally yoked and they're no longer walking with God and they've compromised for a marriage. Wow, how'd they get there? One step at a time. Pastor Xavier Reese and the journey to heartache. Now, there's still much more to come next time. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, though, you can always pick up a copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Unfaithful Love. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. So, once again, the title to ask for is Unfaithful Love. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How important is it to nurture your spiritual relationship? What happens if you don't? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com